Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Evolution isn't necessarily a straight line, and sometimes it can be incredibly messy. Now, of course, nature loves continually reinventing crabs, but other species also share some curious tales of evolution. Huxley and others were first trying to categorise all different types of birds based on their beaks, but the answer is a bit more complicated than they thought. Plus, we find out what's happening between wild jungle chickens and their domesticated cousins, and how that line is becoming blurred. One of the tricky things about evolution is that we get used to it being a kind of linear progression from one stage to the next. But you only have to look at something like crabs to see how nature just loves to keep evolving the same pattern again and again when the circumstances call for it. Because after all, evolution is just about finding the best fit for a given set of circumstances, genes at your disposal, for a particular environment and adapting to them. There's no one optimum or final stage of human-animal evolution. It's just, well, what is the best for that point in time, available resources and available genes? And sometimes it takes a strange mutation to really push something to a new spot. And that has to have the right place for that adaption to thrive in. So evolution isn't linear. But when we look at the trends of species, we can draw through lines and commonalities. And an example of how this can be confusing is what you can look at when you see birds. Now, we know evolutionarily birds are connected to dinosaurs, a link between us and the ancient area where dinosaurs roamed the Earth. And I'm not just talking about the fact that they have feathers. We look at the family history and the genes and the, what we see in these features of these certain types of animals. We can trace the lineage back from modern birds back through dinosaurs. But one of the most characteristic things you often think about with the dinosaur is, of course, lots and lots of teeth. Teeth that can chomp down on something. Whether it be grinding flat teeth or sharp skin-piercing teeth, teeth is one of the things that comes to mind first when you think about a dinosaur. But when you think about a bird, well, that's quite rare. Rare as hen's teeth. And that's to say that most birds that we think about in today's context don't have this idea at all. We don't think about teeth at all with birds. So what happened in between? Now, what birds do have is often a really interesting feature. They have a dexterous beak, and it's really mobile. Now, these are some pretty interesting features. And when we say mobile, it's also a little bit more tricky and complicated than that. But this breakdown between what birds have today and what ancient birds or dinosaurs had in the past is confusing. So seeing what that through line is, is always been a challenge for scientists. Modern birds seem to be this new type of thing as opposed to what was there before. Which is why researchers from the University of Cambridge and the Naturalistische Museum Maastricht in Netherlands were incredibly confused when they found a skull, a beak, a mobile beak, in a fossil that dated to 66 million years ago. This puts it way, way back in time, and through this whole idea of dinosaurs and beaks that were present on these dinosaurs evolving into the mobile beaks that we see today on birds. This pretty much had almost exactly the same features as what we see in a modern bird face. So what was it doing in the fossil record 66 million years ago? That's what researchers like Dr. Daniel Field, Dr. Juan Benito, Pejan Kuo, and Kiara Widri were diving into. You can read about in the current issue of Nature. Now, one of the things that you look at when you see the 11,000 different species of bird around on Earth today 
is they can be more or less classified into two broad groups. There's a lot more nuance than that, but let's just call them two general arrangements. And these groups are how their palate bones are formed. Now, in humans, well, we have a really solid palate bones. Bones in your jaw are, are all fused together into a solid mass. This gives you a strong chin and a good jaw. And some birds, like ostrich, emus, and the relatives in that, class, classify this grouping in birds called the paleogonath, or ancient jaw group. They have this solid palate bone that's all fused together, just like us and you have in your mouth. That's one part of the bird animal kingdom tree. And if you look at the other group, the neonath, or modern jaw group, all those birds, if you can look at their mouths or their beaks, as you'll see, those palate bones are connected by a mobile jaw. This makes their beaks really, really flexible, dexterous. They can use their beaks for nest building, for grooming, food gathering, and even defense. This kind of difference in the mouth shape and the beak being flexible or having a fused jaw is a big distinction that we've known about in birds for a long time. Like, even way back, Thomas Huxley was investigating this, way back in 1867. He basically divided all birds into the ancient or modern jaw groups. And Huxley at the time, and many following him, have classified that based on the idea that, well, what we see in ostriches and emus is this kind of old-style jaw, but the rest of the birds that we see around us, well, they have this modern, flexible, new type of jaw. Because, well, if you look at the fossil record, there's not many fossils way back with this flexible joint beak type, and, well, what we saw with this fixed jaw type, that's way similar to the fossils that we do have from the dinosaur age and, and earlier. So this meant researchers like Huxley and others since then sort of categorized this and believed that, well, this flexible beak must be super modern and thus super new as a new evolutionary feature. That was a lot of what we understood about birds, which is why the fossil Janovis, which was found in a limestone quarry in the Belgium Dutch border in the 1990s and then studied in 2002, was a particularly interesting case. Now, at the time, scientists could only make parts out of this thing out, the bits of bones sticking out of the rock and fragments of a skull and shoulder bones. Tidied it all up and sent it back to the lab. And it sat there for around 20 years. Now, that fossil ended up in the hands of a PhD student, Dr. Juan Benito. And Benito was looking at this fossil again, couldn't go out in the field due to COVID-19 lockdown, so he was trying to make do with what he had in the lab. And when he looked at this, he was really confused by a bone in particular. Couldn't really, to him, be a shoulder bone, because it didn't look anything like as a shoulder bone, despite what the tags said. So, Benito took this strange bone that he found and got a second opinion from Dr. Daniel Field. And well, they met outside, and first time they'd spoken face-to-face -face to another human in a while, and they brought with him this strange bone, and, well, Field's impression was it was something actually really familiar. Something that they'd seen a lot before. Something quite modern, like a turkey skull. And because it's an animal research lab, there's all kinds of skulls all over the lab, and they had a turkey skull lying around, and they brought out that bone and compared it and going, oh my god, this is almost identical. 
So the skull was matching this fossil record from the Janovus, which was classified as a shoulder blade. Clearly, that wasn't the case. It was actually a skull. And now they could reclassify and analyze this whole fossil again. Now, this kind of interesting scientific discovery, collaboration, research, and realization holding a strange bone and realizing that it looks like something you may have seen before, that's sometimes the way that science pans out. But it also goes to show that evolution isn't necessarily linear. The idea that, well, modern birds have this flexible mobile beak and Older birds or dinosaurs did not, they had this fused jaw, is, isn't really true because we now have fossil record proof from 66 million years ago that that just quite frankly isn't the case. Now, it doesn't mean that we throw out the idea of birds evolving in the modern era, this new flexible joint type. It's possible that this flexible joint type, like crabs, continues to be evolved in lots of different contexts as required, as it is the best type of adaption. So then why did modern birds that we do have, like ostrich and emus and the like, have these still these few jaws? Well, at some point it made, must have made evolutionary sense for them to go back and get that body type back out from the cupboard to actually use because it was adapted and needed in their current context. And sometimes that things can happen. We have to look at the case of whales, which have actually more in common genetically with antelopes that went into the water, meat-eating antelopes that went back into the water, because that was the best place for them to adapt to. And so you can end up with all these weird things from time to time. That's the way evolution works, not a linear progression, but a journey of best fit at any given point in time. And another interesting characteristic about this skull is that, well, the toothless beak isn't actually present. The Modern birds don't have any teeth, right? And they have a toothless beak and a mobile upper jaw. But in this Janovis finitus fossil, it still has its teeth. It's got the mobile beak, but actually still has the teeth. So it's somewhere between these modern birds that we see today and what we had in the past. It still has some features, but not entirely the features like the modern setting. So it doesn't mean we need to throw out our entire bird family tree but it does help us understand in more detail the way in which birds have evolved the features that they have with them, and what they can tell us about the story of evolution and life on our planet. It's a great pub uh, published in the journal Nature, with authors Benito, Cor, Ludwig, and... Now birds are one of the first creatures that we domesticated because aside from wolves and of course goats and types of ungulates, there's all kinds of domesticated creatures. But well, chickens are a pretty popular food source. Somewhere in tropical Asia between 3,000 and 10,000 years ago, humans were able to domesticate the red jungle fowl. And since then, and as with most cases of domestication, once humans are onto a good thing, they make it work really well for them. Now, this red jungle fowl, if you look at it another way, is the wild ancestor of what we would call today a chicken. And how it is connected to modern day chickens is also an interesting story. Because you could like to easily think about these as separate species, distinct from each other. If you look at a pug and you look at a wolf, you can sometimes be hard to see the through line. 
or maybe a different type of breed of dog and maybe a very strange wild creature like a dingo. It's easy to see the through line between a dingo and a sheepdog, but as I said, a Shih Tzu or a Terrier and a large wolf are very different indeed. But they connect, they're related, and they have this common ancestor. And this is a pretty interesting thing because you can end up with interbreeding between these species. These populations don't exist in isolation completely from each other. It's not like we're talking about dinosaurs in the past or extinct species. In many cases, red jungle file and chicken, well, they're right alongside each other intimately close and that means these species are close enough that they can actually still interbreed so wild and domesticated birds can still interbreed in the fowl family so despite our domestication 10,000 years ago there's still enough dna that's common that they're nails for the species to co-populate and that does some interesting things because the wild populations end up actually acquiring more and more DNA from chickens. This is what researchers from Frank Reithard National University of Singapore have been publishing in the journal PLOS Genetics. And why Reithard and others were trying to dive into this, including Lee Dorothan's paper, Meng Yu Wu, well, they really wanted to understand how much diversity and interbreeding there were across these species. They looked at 51 genomes from chickens and 63 from the jungle fowl, and they took these samples all across the wild birds' natural habitat range in tropical Asia. And what they found is that the DNA from domesticated chickens is moving and moving rapidly into the wild jungle fowl population. And as more forested areas in these tropical areas are getting populated with people, deforested, trees cut down, or people just being in and around them, well, that means chickens start to move in and around them as well. And as those chickens move in and around the wild areas, that means that they come into contact with these wild jungle fowl. So if you look at the change in the genomes from, let's say, around a century ago, the, they estimate in their research that the birds in the wild have inherited around 20 to 50% of their genomes from the domesticated modern birds, depending on their location. Some have more of an intermingling in their areas than others. But this is a crazy amount of spread back from the domesticated into the wild species. In particular, there were eight key genes that differed greatly between domesticated chickens and their wild ancestors. And these were probably the key genes that helped chicken become a livestock animal. These are the genes that are developed in reproduction and, and vision. So why does it matter if the wild jungle fowls are taking more and more of these genes from our domesticated chickens? Well, there is an actual serious problem here, and that is that genetic diversity in population groups is actually really, really important. With farmed and domesticated creatures, then they lose a lot of this genetic diversity. While populations are usually good reservoirs of diversity and ways to introduce diversity back into the mix, but if they are starting to become homogenized like the chickens, then that diversity is lost. And wild populations are incredibly important agricultural reservoirs of this genetic diversity that you can tap into from time to time to improve and bring in new traits and features to actually make new varieties. This is true for plants, it's true for animals. If you want to try and make a new species, it's often useful to have things growing and randomly experimenting in the wild, which can be done way more efficiently than if a human tried to do so. So losing that pool of genetic diversity in red jungle fowl actually might hinder not only that population group to withstand external shocks, 
but it's also really important for the, the sustained development and improvement in chickens because we lose that big source of extra information and diversity in, in the genome that is incredibly important for a species to survive. So hopefully we can't stop this intermingling of the species, but if we know it, we can start to understand and track it. And it's important that we do these long-term studies from time to time these 100-year-old samples is a good case to look at just how exactly species can change over time, sharing DNA and evolving back together. This is a very fascinating case of wild chickens starting to become more like their domesticated cousins, in literally in their genes, published in the journal Plus Genetics with lead author Meng Wei. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point how chickens manage to evolve into their domesticated form and then send that genes back, plus the way that birds evolve beaks that were flexible and different to their Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.